Welcome to Failing Forward. I'm here today with Kylie Hutchinson, who is the author of the book Evaluation Failures, 22 Tales of Mistakes Made and Lessons Learned. And she's going to talk to us about what she sees commonly in evaluations in her global expertise around this. Kylie, do you want to introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, thanks for having me. I am an external evaluation consultant. I have a company called Community Solutions. I'm based outside of Vancouver, British Columbia. Most of my work is with small not-for-profits in North America, although I did have a very enjoyable stint doing some M&E contract work in Zambia. Why is it important for us to talk about failures? If we can't talk about and learn from our own failures, how can we expect the programs that we evaluate to do so at the same time? that natural that we learn from failure. One of the things that I don't think we always have in the practice of evaluation is that safe space to talk about it. And so one of the reasons why I wrote the book was I wanted to create that space. I think about my first major professional failure and it sent me to bed for a whole day. For the longest time, it was this deep, dark, dirty secret that I had. And then as time went on, I felt more comfortable sharing it with people. And then I realized, wait a second, there's actually something that I could share with other people where they could learn from that failure as well. And then it actually felt really good to do it. But I don't always think people feel comfortable doing that. And I wanted to create that space. How do you think about moving from focus on the failure and the deep, dark secret to, well, here's what somebody else could do to avoid this or to fix it sooner? I think that if you can honestly talk about the failure, but then in the next breath, you talk about what you learned and what you're going to do differently, it helps present it in a more positive light. And I think about the care report that you sent me and I really enjoyed reading. And I thought that's very brave of care to do something like that. And I think one of the reasons why people and organizations and consultants and programs can do it is if they say, look, we had this challenge, we messed up, but this is what we learned and this is how we're going to change it moving forward. One thing I find is that it's very hard to get to the here's how we're going to change it if we don't admit that it happened in the first place. Let's dive into your book. Tell us some of your 22 tales. When I started out writing this book, I basically approached some of the biggest names in my field of evaluation and said, are you willing to share a story of when you effed up? High profile people like Jane Davidson and Michael Quinn Patton and Hallie Preskill. And it was shocking how easy it was to get people to contribute to the book. Everybody had a story. And I thought, well, if we start with high profile people, that will further open the door to sharing because people will know, wow, well, this happened to this person. Well, I guess it's okay. You know, it happens to everybody. And then I proceeded to ask colleagues and other people. And then I wanted to get kind of a broad range of internal versus external evaluators and people working in, in domestic evaluation and international development. And throughout it all, we managed to get 22 stories. And I have to tell you, it was a lot of fun editing this book because whenever somebody would send in their submission in my inbox, I would drop everything and I would read it right away. And I found myself laughing out loud. I found myself gasping. <gasps> oh my God, I can't believe you said that. It was just really, really entertaining. I thought that a lot of the stories would be people talking about how I screwed up with this data collection or I, you know, I used the wrong test. What came out were some very, very clear themes of some of the, the failures that people experience. And failures, I think, is, is also a really strong word because to be honest, they were really challenges. Or I like the way that you describe it in, in the care report, previous and unforeseen challenges. You know, none of them were full-blown epic 
epic, epic failures. But I think that also shows how we kind of tend to think of them as failures sometimes. There was very, very common themes. Some of the common ones that came up again and again in these 22 stories was managing the sometimes conflicting desires and expectations of program staff for the evaluation. One of the chapters was written by Rakesh Mohan, who's a government evaluator in the state of Idaho. And he, he talks about walking the tightrope between being a responsive evaluator, being participatory and empowering and all those things versus maintaining that independence that you need sometimes to do a rigorous evaluation and trying to be attentive to those stakeholders needs but always maintaining that independence that's that's always a struggle for us trying to deal with that is being able to communicate and negotiate effectively around those things one of the other themes that came up as a challenge in many many of the stories was engaging stakeholders and I think as evaluators, we know that this is, it's almost the prime directive. It still happens that it, it's a challenge for us. So what came out in some of the stories were things like accidentally excluding certain clients or stakeholders. It's just an oversight or trying to, again, balance one stakeholder's wishes over another. So there's a great chapter from a re really great guy called Felix Moramuzzo. He was really stuck in the middle of balancing donor desires versus the international NGO versus the government. Like the poor man was just pulled in all directions and how, how do you keep everybody happy? Sometimes the problems engaging stakeholders were just because of very subtle cross-cultural issues. Sometimes it was an issue of trying to, to find a good fit between you, the evaluator, and the stakeholders in the program that you were working with. Sometimes it can be a lot more difficult than it seems. Another thing that came up was uh, frequently was changes in scope that significantly affected the original evaluation plan. And I think a lot of us as evaluators have experienced this and also know to expect this, right? But some of the chapters that came up had serious changes in scope. Sometimes the rigid procurement process doesn't allow us to have that flexibility even with the advent of the developmental evaluation. So trying to find that balance between planning for your evaluation while also remaining like fluid and responsive to, to what those changes and all trying to stay within budget. It's it always, I think, going to be a delicate task for evaluators. Another one that came up that I wasn't expecting at all was turnover in program management and personnel. There's one story from Jay and Davidson where I think the program manager, there was four different people over a period of three years, which was crazy making. And we can't always predict these events happening, but maybe we can at least learn to expect them and maybe be prepared to spend the extra time with those people. Those are some of the common kind of challenges that were precipitating the failures. And then there was some very clear themes around the lessons that everybody learned as a result. Tell us a little bit about those lessons learned. Obviously around engaging clients and stakeholders appropriately at, at multiple points in the evaluation. You know, what occurred to me is even if you think that you're adequately engaging your stakeholders, maybe you're not doing enough. Remembering to engage all stakeholders in the development of the, the data collection instrument or having participatory data party. Another lesson learned that people were voicing a lot was the need to reflect on the context of a program and its evaluation. There was numerous examples where the evaluator didn't necessarily have blinders on, but they weren't fully appreciating the broader system and how that could really affect the program and their evaluation. Accepting or acknowledging that context cannot constantly shift in a program, particularly if it's a longer term kind of evaluation. And sometimes Isaac Castillo wrote a chapter working with the Latinx community. And he said, uh, you know, sometimes there's smaller local contact within a broader 
program context. Also, there's a great there's a great chapter of a North American evaluator who went over to evaluate an international development program, and she did not take the time to really delve into what was the organization's motivation and what that context was for doing the evaluation. She made some assumptions, and they were totally erroneous. The third theme around the lessons was communication and the need to communicate effectively. In terms of evaluation, good communication, it's, it's absolutely critical for things like managing and aligning everybody's expectations, being able to troubleshoot those minor issues when they come up, not just ignoring them, just building those trusting relationships that are really necessary for good evaluation. Learning as an evaluator to just trust your instincts, communicate any concerns immediately. There was one chapter by Gail Barrington and she said, nowadays, I always want to make sure there's a direct line of communication to certain stakeholders that really need to know what's going on in the evaluation. I don't want to work through a middleman. That's problematic. And also just using communication to double check your assumptions. The word red flag or alarm bells, those came out a lot in the stories. People saw them but chose not to see them or chose not to recognize them for. The thing that I think is really important about the study of failure and these challenges that evaluators might have is that avoiding them or sidestepping them often requires the softer skills of an evaluator. Things like effective communication, interpersonal skills, negotiation, and even things like self-care, these are usually not taught. They often have to come from experience, and sometimes that experience is, is negative, right? Internally, the tagline we've been using for the Failing Forward is experience is what you get when you didn't get what you wanted. We learn so much more when it goes wrong than we do when it goes right because it forces us to check our assumptions. So yeah, that really resonates, I think, with a lot of the experience on this side. Even when I first started out on my own as an evaluation consultant, I had a trusted mentor who I would go to with certain topics that I wanted her input with. But then there were other things where I thought, oh, I don't really want to share this with another evaluator. Having somebody that you can talk it out with, learning to expect the unexpected. This occurred to me, you know, I've got a daughter who's, she just turned 14 and I realized, oh my God, in two years, she's going to be learning how to drive. And so lately in the car, I've started pointing stuff out to her in terms of how to be a defensive driver, be expecting the unexpected. And I think it's kind of the same thing as an evaluator. The really big thing to remember is that there's no substitute for having a reflective practice. And we talk about these in the competencies and everything, reflecting on your failure and learning from it and sharing from it. Those that's actually reflective practice in action. In the middle of an evaluation, being constantly reflective will help you identify and manage those minor challenges before they turn into those full-blown blunders that we all want to avoid. Several of the things I heard you say, especially early on, are around conflicting expectations and managing stakeholders and changes in scope. And that very much resonates with what we see from the implementer side. See that an evaluation did not go the way we thought. We see a lot of that. And there is a tendency to say, well, then we just have to have the perfect scope. We have to put all that time and energy into creating the perfect scope for an evaluation. And what you're pointing to is that it's more than that. Having the right scope is important, but there's a lot in there that's not about making sure that the whole plan is perfect from the get-go, but adjusting the plan as you go along. Are there any lessons about how to do that? So I'm an independent contractor as an evaluator. I craft a scope at the beginning, but I never expect it to stay the same. I try to budget in a buffer for that and I let the client know that. So then they feel better that if things need to change, accepting that it's going to change probably helps. It's fascinating for me to hear it from the evaluator side because where I sit, I'm usually on the other side of that and where the implementer and where the group 
being evaluated, we're also often the group managing the contract with the evaluator so that we can deliver something to our stakeholders at the end. As a contractor and somebody who does this a lot, what are some of your key asks for the implementers? Things we could do that would make the whole process easier and better from the beginning. Starting out with the RFP request for proposals, don't be so prescriptive. Tell us what you need out of the project and tell us what the budget is. Don't make us guess and then trust us to develop what you need. And don't ask for so much detail at the time because we also know that everything is going to change. Jane Davidson has a really great piece of advice. She said she almost never signs a three-year contract now. She wants it broken up into smaller manageable chunks. So nowadays I'll do uh, one small contract to develop the log frame and the evaluation plan and then another contract to do the actual evaluation and then maybe another one to do the knowledge translation. So chunk it up and that gives everybody a little bit of kind of flexibility. You've mentioned the idea of the scope is way too big. There's too much or it gets rewritten too many times. How do you think about narrowing the scope? I see us doing that all the time is we write in 25 evaluation questions and say, this will take you 10 days to do, which is absurd. How do you think about narrowing into the most important? When somebody calls me on the phone and says, you know, are you able to do this evaluation? I'll say, hmm, that sounds interesting. What would you like to learn? And then instead of them thinking in terms of, oh, I need a survey and this kind of design, they just tell me in, in lay terms, oh, well, I'd really like to know if A causes B or if participants are satisfied. And I'm furiously scribbling those down. And then I will also, it took me a while to do this, many years, but I've also learned to ask, what are these results going to be used for? What are you, gonna, what are you planning to do with them? oh, well, we want to know if we can expand it across the, the state or the province, or we want to know if maybe this program should shut down. Or And then the last thing I'll ask them is, when do you need these results by? Because I've had several occasions, and there's one story in the book from Jane Davidson who said, you know, by the time that she wrote the final report, it was an artifact. This engine had been made. They weren't waiting for my 30-page report. They go on without us. So those are kind of the three questions that I tend to ask I love that because they tell me what they need and then they entrust me to go and design the best design and best evaluation possible to answer those questions for them. One last thing I wanted to pick up on, you said that you do a lot of work for organizations that are focused on social justice and certainly for CARE that is our mission and all of the conversations about failure are supposed to help us improve our ability to deliver on the mission. What is one lesson that you would take from all of this or that you would tell people to apply so that they are improving the mission, that we're actually achieving social justice because we're learning from failure? It seems to come up again and again and again in evaluation. And I would go so far as to say it's the prime directive and it's, it's engage your stakeholders, everything else, data parties and utilization and data visualization and collecting the right data and all of that, it all comes down to how well you engage your stakeholders. That's my experience. And, you know, I've been at it for more than 30 years. And be aware of context. You know, every evaluation is different. It's all about the context and just be cognizant of it. You don't have to be a systems thinking expert, but you just have to be thinking about what context is this program operating in? And how do you find that out? you engage your stakeholders and learn from them. Any final thoughts or takeaways you want to make sure that we talk about today? I just want to say thank you for having this podcast and bravely publishing that report as well. And thank you for having me on the podcast and to just say to everybody, you know, you may not be able to share your failure tomorrow, 
but you maybe you will six months from now or a year from now and you know if you see me in the hallways of the American Evaluation Association conference you can come up to me and go oh Kylie have I ever got a doozy and I will I'll give you a very uh, confidential sympathetic hearing thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your expertise it's always really great to hear more about what's going on in other spaces so we really appreciate you joining us today thanks Emily it was a real pleasure thanks everyone to the audience thanks for listening to failing forward we're looking forward to having you next time